Hey, great to see you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we open up His Word. Father God, Your way is better, oh God, than anything we can ever conjure up, Lord, or plan. Father, Your way, Your will will always be better for us. And so, Father, as we open up Your Word, my God, I pray that You would start preparing our hearts to hear from You. Oh Lord, that we would understand that your will, your way, your commands are always better for our lives. And Father, let us then walk in trust and in obedience. So Father, be with us now. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people say at all campuses, amen. Well, let's give another shout of praise to our amazing God. Well, welcome everyone. Again, my name is Omar and I serve as a lead pastor here at CF. And I wanna welcome every single campus right now watching us live stream all across Miami, especially our first time guest fam. Let's go ahead and give it up and show some love. Hey, thank you for joining us this morning. And uh, we have been in a study through the Gospel of Mark and we have been looking at the hardest teachings that really we can find in this Gospel. And we are in a series called Straight Up and we've been learning that when Jesus taught us truth, he never beat around the bush, he never sugarcoated things, but he was always straight up with us. And so today we're gonna to be looking at the story of a young rich ruler, and we're gonna see the danger of money and how it could become an idol in our life. And so I am ready to dive into God's word. I hope you are too. And so wherever you find yourself, open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 10, verse 21, and you can follow along with me as I read. Let's do what God's word says. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Everyone say one thing. One thing. You lack one thing. He said, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. In other words, the Lord here was really calling out this blind spot in this man's life. That one thing, and he said, let go of that and come and follow me. That is God's word. You can go and take a seat, everybody, at all campuses. Thanks again for being here. And to start off, let me just ask a quick question to you all. How many of you, by show of hands, are NFL fans? NFL fans, by show of hands. Yeah, all oh, many people raising their hands. Enough to watch the NFL draft. How many of you watch the NFL? Oh yeah, we got ladies watching the NFL draft. I love it. But here's the thing. If you're a Dolphin fan, this has been pretty good. We can clap. I heard like one clap for a Dolphin somewhere in the crowd. But if you're a Dolphin fan, listen, you've been excited about the NFL draft. Why? Because last year, we drafted who we hope is our franchise quarterback. His name is Tua. And so let's get up for, for, for the Dolphins again. Hopefully, man, we got our quarterback. But this was a big thing, right? Because if you know anything about football, you know that the most important position on the team is the quarterback. See, every single play is initiated by the QB. And he decides everything goes on. He decides whether he's going to pass the ball, whether he's going to give it to the runner, whether he's going to run it himself. And so the whole offense rises and falls on the quarterback. And because he's so important, he's also the most targeted player on 
the football field. In fact, defense would not want nothing more than to be able to get a solid hit on that quarterback. And so because of it, teams have assembled an entire offensive line to protect that quarterback called the offensive line. Now, folks, stay with me on this for a moment because every single QB has a blind spot where they are susceptible to get a brutal hit. In football, they call this the QB's blind side. So here's what happens. When the quarterback gets to the line of scrimmage, right, he's about to hike the ball. He has a good visual of the entire field, right? He can see every player, every threat. He can see everything going on in the football field. But once he hikes that ball, you've all seen this, right? The quarterback starts pedaling back and he has to turn his back to the opposite of his throwing arm, right? Because he needs to throw it. And folks, the moment that he puts his back, what happens? Listen, there is a blind spot, right? Right behind him, there is a blind spot. And sure, in every play, the QB could feel like everything's okay, right? Because he sees most of the players, most of the field. But folks, oftentimes, a defensive lineman may get past the line and, 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 and really inflict a brutal hit on the quarterback and hits him on his blind side. Now, the most famous hit on a quarterback's blinds has to be that of Joe Theismann. Yeah, if you've seen this man, you know that this was probably the most brutal hit. Now, Joe was actually a really good quarterback in the early 80s. In fact, for the youngsters, he was a 1983 NFL MVP. He beat our beloved Dolphins in the Super Bowl in 83 as well. And so he was a really good quarterback in that time. But in 1985, he was playing a Monday night football game against the New York Giants. And on the Giants was arguably the NFL's best defensive player, and his name was... Lawrence Taylor, yeah. This was a bad man. And he used to hit quarterbacks, and they used to feel like he was relentless, a relentless defensive player. And so here's what happened. During the second quarter of that game, what was later voted as the NFL's most shocking moment was took place when Lawrence Taylor hit Joe Theismann from his blind side. And folks, it was the most brutal hit anybody had ever seen yet. In fact, let me just show you what happened in that play in that Monday night football game. So Joe Theismann right here, the quarterback, he's lining up in the line of scrimmage. He has a good view of everything going on. He's going to hike the ball soon. There he goes. The pocket collapses, and from his blind side right there comes Lawrence Taylor, and he hits him. And folks, it looks like nothing happened, like it was a normal play. But the moment that people saw Lawrence Taylor react this way, and they saw LT who never does that, put his hand, his hands on his head. People knew it was a brutal, devastating hit. Now, I'm not going to show you the broken leg because it's a church weekend. But if you want to see, you have to go and see that on YouTube. Not now. After service, you can go and just search for that, and you can see it's pretty gruesome. But if you want to see it, it has to be after service, right? But folks, do not miss the point because unfortunately for Joe Theismann, during that play, listen, he thought that everything was fine. He was looking at all the players. He thought it was, everything was fine. But he suffered a brutal hit that essentially ended his football career. He never played a game after that play. 
And folks, let me just bring all that over to our time together because what an image of what spiritual blind spots can do to us. And by that I mean that just like Joe Theismann's football blind spot led him to essentially the death of his football career in the field. Listen, just like that. And here's my proposition as we dive into God's word. Spiritual blind spot can be devastating to our spiritual life. In fact, it can lead to spiritual death. And so who knows, maybe you're sitting here, maybe you're watching right now, you're thinking, Omar, what is the most common spiritual blind spot? Because I'm coming to church, I love God, I mean, I try to do my best at work with my family, and so what is that blind spot? Because I want to be sure that I'm on the right track and there's nothing that blindsides me. Well, we're going to find out from Mark chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles at all campuses, turn to Mark chapter 10. You can fire up your Christ Fellowship apps right now. And today I have three thoughts for you on spiritual blind spots. So write this down as point number one. Money is the most common spiritual blind spot. Now, let's go to the passage for today. Listen to what it says. It says, and as he was setting out on his journey, speaking of Jesus, a man ran up and knelt before him. Now, let's pause right there. Let's talk about who this man was. Because the gospel of Luke and Matthew actually give us a little more insight onto who this man was. Now, the gospel of Luke tells us that he was a ruler, which means that he was the ruler of the synagogue. And a ruler then in the synagogue would oversee the social life of that town, the spiritual life of that town. Uh, He would even oversee the school for the children because the schools were held in a synagogue. And so, very important role. And the the Gospel of Matthew says that he was relatively young. Which means that even though he was young, he had ascended to a position that was usually reserved for an older man who had the perception of perhaps being wiser. And so up to this point in his life, he had achieved spiritual and social respect. And no doubt, this man was probably loved by everyone in that town. So listen to what happens next. He says, and as he was setting out on his journey, a man, the young rich ruler, ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, family, it's obvious that this man was coming before the Lord with first humility, right? Because we see he kneels before the Lord. He calls the Lord a good teacher, which shows that he wanted to be honoring of the Lord. So this is a man who comes before the Lord with humility, with respect, trying to honor. And he poses a question, what must I do to inherit eternal life. And family, in a sense, listen, he's like many of us here. Because even though we come from different backgrounds, different nationalities, different stages in life, in many ways, we all come humbly before the Lord. We, we love the Lord, and, and we want to know more about eternal life, right? That's the point that we gather before to the Lord. We want to know more about that. If you're here today for the first, first time, Listen, we all know through Scripture that the way to have eternal life is simply by faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And when the Bible, when the Bible says that when we put our faith and our trust in the Lord, he gives us forgiveness of sin and we start a loving relationship with the Lord. So if you're here today, listen, that is the way to have eternal life, by putting your trust 
in Christ. But the truth of the matter is that we're not much different than this, than this young rich ruler. We all have the desire. We all want to know more about eternal life. But here's the thing. Write this down as letter A and letter B. Jesus is not looking for sincere, partial obedience. But instead, write this down as letter B, Jesus is looking for a fully surrendered life. In fact, listen to what happens next in the story. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. So the Lord goes through the Ten Commandments. He starts listing them. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. That's our family. I love this because Jesus, knowing the heart of this young rich ruler, reminds them of the second portion of the Ten Commandments. Now, keep in mind, just as a refresher, the Ten Commandments were divided into two sections, right? The first, the first four commandments dealt with our relationship with God. The last six commandments dealt with our relationship to other people. And so the Lord here goes through the last six commandments that dealt in regards to other people. And the Lord knew that for the most part, it looked like this man had done his best to obey the commandments of God in regards to other people, which is, by the way, that he probably ascended to a place of respect, of notoriety. Why? Because people loved him. People thought he was an honorable man. And so because of that, most likely he had done very well obeying the partial commandments of God. But here's the thing. The next thing you would expect from Jesus is after he went through this last six commandments to go through the first four commandments. And perhaps you would expect Jesus to then um, uh, state the first commandment, the, the, the first commandment which says, you shall have no other gods before me. But you would expect him to say, okay, you, you did all that. Now, you shall have no other God before, before the Lord. But instead of doing that, Jesus does something masterful. In fact, listen to what happens next. And Jesus looking at him loved him, and said, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Now, family, why would the Lord ask this man to sell everything he has to follow him? Well, folks, the answer is simple. It's because Jesus wanted him to get rid of the one God that he had before him. You see, the genius of this is that Jesus was, get, was asking him to get rid of that one thing that he was violating the first commandment with. That was his money. And so money was the idol of his life. And so after Jesus really goes after him and just really goes to the crux of the matter, listen to what happens next. And it says, and disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. The church, here's what's remarkable about this story. Is that even though this man was sincerely seeking God, he was sincerely serving the Lord in the synagogue, I'm sure. 
he had a blind spot in his life. You know, going back to the opener, you know, Joe Theismann, when he was in that play, he was seeing pretty much every other player in that field. But folks, he had one blind spot. And that one, splite, what, what, that one blind spot proved to be fatal. And just like that, listen, this young ruler had a lot of things in order in his life. But he had one blind spot, and that was a deep in his heart. Listen, he treasured something more than he did God, and that was his money. Yes, he was active with God's people. Yes, he was an armor band. Yes, he served others. But his response to the Lord ultimately revealed that the one idol that he had before God was his money. Here's what I find interesting. That after this young rich ruler, right, stands up and walks away from the Lord, here's what you would expect. You would expect for God to say, wait a second, don't walk away. Oh, I'm just kidding. Come on, come on back here, man. I, I, was, I was just messing about the money stuff. I don't care about money. Come on over here. You know, come over. You know, you would expect the Lord to go chasing after this young rich shooter, but he doesn't do that. In fact, he just lets them walk away. And then he looks at his disciples, and in many ways, listen, he looks at every single one of us. And then he helps understand, write this down as big number two, that the idol of money can keep us from eternal life. In fact, listen to what, says, what, what Jesus says next. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter into the kingdom of God. And the disciples were what? Were what? Amazed. Were amazed. They were amazed at his words. Now, folks, here is why the disciples were amazed at Jesus' words. It's because written their, in their Hebrew mind, in their culture, in their context, riches were a sign of God's blessings. You know, if a person was blessed with money and possessions and wealth, in their mind, they thought, well, God loves that person. God is showing favor. God, they have a close relationship with God. And folks, the reality that even though money could be a blessing from God, here's the reality. The reality is that it is a one thing that can keep us away from God. And so here's what Jesus is teaching us here is that we must write this down as letter A, is that we must recognize the danger of money to our soul. Listen, we must recognize the danger of money to our own life. In fact, listen to what God's word says in 1 Timothy. It says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. See, folks, notice, the love of money, it's not the love of green pieces of paper. It's not the love of coins. It's not the love of shekels or the currency of that time. Listen, the love of money is loving the promises of security and provision that money gives you. And so what the Lord is warning us is that our love of money or our trust in money can get so strong 
that it can either, it can even lead us away from the Lord. And folks, that's exactly what happened to this young ruler. His love of money led him to walk away from the Lord of glory. Sam, listen, there's nothing wrong with having wealth, right? It, we all have different varying amounts of wealth and resources, it, and that's according to what God assigns. Family, there is a very fine line between you controlling your money and what you do with your money and letting money control you. And sometimes we cross that line, and we don't even realize when we cross that line. You know, you've all seen a dog, a person walking a dog. You know, oftentimes I, we go on little walks around the neighborhood with Camila, and we just walk around. We see people walking their dogs, and you know what they are. You know, sometimes you have a, a person who has a dog who is in full control. They are going to tell that dog where they're going to go and when they're going to go home. And then you have those people, and this may be you, right, that the dog is like controlling them, right? It, it just, they just look crazy just running around with a dog. They can't control the dog. And, 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 and here's the thing. You know, sometimes that can happen with money. You know, we control what we do with our money, but sometimes it's a very fine line where we cross, and then the money is controlling us. It's controlling our heart. It's controlling our thoughts. It's controlling our soul. And here's the thing. When we read a story like this, it's so easy that we look at this story with self-righteousness. And when we look at the story, we think, well, I'm glad you're covering this, Omar, but I am definitely not like the young rich ruler. Oh, no. I love the Lord. I worship God. I love everything about the Lord. I'm definitely not like the young rich ruler, but my fear is that there's many in the church who are the young rich ruler in the story, and they don't even realize it. Now, the question is, how do I know? If I'm the young rich ruler, right? That's a natural question. Or write this down as it will be. And that is, do you trust and obey Jesus with your money? You know, the young rich ruler, when he was confronted with God's will for his life, with God's commands for his life, for what the Lord wanted him to do, he didn't trust the Lord and he disobeyed God. Right? And so when it comes to you, when the Lord reveals to you what his will for your life is, what his commands, what he wants you to do, how he wants you to handle your money, the question is, do you trust and obey God with your money? Now, when I pose that question, you're probably thinking, well, what does God want me to do with my money? Well, it's interesting that throughout Scripture, God doesn't, if you think about it, God doesn't really tell us what to do with our money. Yes, we know that he's entrusted us with money. We are good we're to be good stewards with it. And uh, as long as he, we don't do anything sinful or dishonoring, it's interesting. God does give us freedom. So when you plan a vacation, you can go an expensive vacation or a cheaper vacation. If you can buy a shirt, you can buy an expensive shirt or not expensive shirt. You can do whatever you want with your money, right? I think God gives us freedom as long as it's nothing sinful or dishonoring, so he gives you freedom to do whatever you want with the money that he's entrusted to you. But he does ask one thing, and it's with the little bit that he, with a little portion of what he's given to you, that you give back to the Lord. You see, since the beginning of time, 
we see that part of a relationship that God's people have with their provider God is that from all the abundance that he's given to us, right, we are to respond and give back to the Lord. Now, the common question is how much? Well, the pattern that we see in Scripture, keyword pattern, right, the pattern that we see in Scripture is that thing called a tithe, which is 10%. You see, if you go back to the Old Testament, you see that Abraham, once he realized God's provision and God's protection for him, the Bible says that in, that in, in Genesis 14 that Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. So we see here that, God's, that the people of God is starting to give 10% back to God. Then we see Jacob, which is Abraham's grandson, when he realized all of God's goodness and provision for him, he says in Genesis 28, and of all that you give me, I will give you a what? A full what? Tenth. Tenth to you. Now, later on, when God um, delivered the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt and he formed the nation of Israel, God then began to give him some order and certain laws. And part of the law was that the people of God would give back to the Lord 10%, a tithe of everything that they received. In fact, there's many commands of this in, 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 in throughout the Old Testament, but here's one. Where it says that every tithe, right, every 10% of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, it is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. It is set apart for God. And, then, and, and this money that people of the people of Israel used to give was really used to provide the, you know, to support the temple and the priests. Just like today, you know, when we give to the Lord here and the church, we, we provide for the ministry of the church, the outreaches, the lights, the AC, everything you look around, right, it's part of what we all give together. Now, it's interesting. When you go to the New Testament, we see that Jesus saw some Pharisees who were doing some things he didn't approve. But it's interesting that in Luke 11, he actually approves them giving the tithe of what they were submitting. And so he says they do well. And then we go now to the, Old, to the New Testament, towards the end of the book of Hebrews, and the author of Hebrews now mentions Abraham and speaks of, of the sacrifice of 10% as a favorable thing. And so the pattern that we see in Scripture is this thing called the tithe. And so really, listen, this whole concept is not something that the church leaders came up with in the last 30, 40 years. This is something that has been around since the beginning of time, since Abraham. Man, the people of God have been giving to the Lord their tithe. And the question is why 10%? Listen, I'm not 100% sure. My gut feeling when I look at it is I think it's a healthy balance of it costing you something, it's sacrificial, it means something, but at the same time, it's not enough to cripple you. And so the Lord selected that number. I don't know why. You, you know, we'll get to know one point, but that's what we see in Scripture. Now, some people would say, well, we don't see the command of a tithe in the New Testament we don't see anywhere in the New Testament that there's an explicit commandment to tithe. And they often quote 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, which says this. It says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Amen. Now, here's the thing. We must always look at Scripture in terms of its context. And so the the passage here in 2 Corinthians is, is referring to a special collection that the Apostle Paul was collecting to send to the church in Jerusalem. It's almost like if we here at CF were saying, hey, we're going to collect a special offering for the church in Costa Rica. We saw that earlier in the service, right? 
It's like if we were just saying, hey, we want you, we're collecting a special offering, but we're not going to demand that you guys give a specific amount. Just give whatever God puts in your heart to give before God loves a cheerful giver. So, so here's the thing. Those who say that tithe is no longer around, their argument is that they're under grace. And so if they're under grace, then the reality is that they should be giving way more than 10% if you start giving according to grace. But sad to say, in my experience, the people who are so ardent um, against a tithe are usually the people who never give sacrificially. That's just my experience. But folks, listen, regardless of where you land the spectrum, here's what I really want you just to embrace today. And that is that giving back to the Lord is a beautiful way of worshiping God. Where we say, God, you are my provider. God, you are my God. God, you are my security. Money is not my security. Money is not my provider. Money is not my God. But Lord, you are my provider, God. So out of the abundance that you give, Lord, we worship you and we give back to the Lord. Amen? Listen, that is the form of worship. That is why giving, yeah, giving is a form of worship. Every time you give, what you're saying is, I recognize that God has provided for me, and now I'm giving back to my provider, God. And folks, it's a beautiful, almost dance with the Lord that we do where he provides, we give. He provides, we give. And it's a beautiful reminder through our life that he's our provider, God. And so the way that you know if you are the young rich ruler in this story is whether you've got to ask yourself whether or not you are obeying God in this area of money. Because if you're not obeying the Lord in this area, listen, you may be the young rich ruler in the story, and you may not even realize it. Oh, Omar, how can you say I'm the young rich ruler? How can you say that? Well, here's why. It's because it's hard to say that you are not the young rich ruler when the Lord is not asking you to sell everything and give it away. He's just asking you to give a small portion back to the Lord, and you still can't come to the point. In other words, it's impossible for you to say that if I was kneeling down before the Lord like the young rich ruler, I would sell everything away, but then when the Lord asks you just to honor and just to give back a little bit of all that he's given to you, you still refuse to give back to him. And now, folks, listen, we can all come with different excuses in this area. But, folks, at the end of the day, when you don't give, listen, it may be a sign that you're idolizing money way more than you realize. Oh, but Omar, why are we talking about money? God doesn't care about my money. He cares about my heart. Yes, he does. And folks, the reason he is asking you to do this is because he loves you. You know, it's interesting. Going back to the story, I don't know if you caught this, but before the Lord commanded this young rich ruler to sell everything, did you all notice it says, and looking at him, he loved him. He loved him and then told him, do this. You know what it says that? Because the Lord was wanting to free him from this idol that had gripped his heart so that he could truly experience what being fully surrendered to the Lord and everything that God had to offer him. 
And folks, when God commands us, when he shows us his will for our life in this area, folks, it's because he loves you. He doesn't care. He doesn't need your money. He, he's the creator of the world. What he wants is your heart, and he wants you to be free from the gripping, the grips of, an, of the idol of money. So listen, you may be a faithful attendant to church. You might be serving in a ministry. You might be wearing a T-shirt right now serving. You may go on outreaches. You can do all these different things. But if you refuse to obey the Lord in this area... Listen, you got to ask yourself, what does that say about my heart? Listen, this is a private matter. Everyone knows their finances and everyone knows, no one knows here what, what anybody gets. But this is a private matter. So you got to ask yourself, if I'm not being faithful in this area, I'm not obeying the Lord, what does that say about me? Now, some of you may be here today and you're saying, Lord, I, uh, you know, Omar, I, I, I'm tracking with you. And, and I know that I have not been as faithful in this area as I should. And I know I need to get there. But, Omar, how can I do that? Not forcefully. You know, because I don't want to give forcefully. I don't want to, you know, I, I, want, I want it just to be something that I want to do. So how can I get to that point? Because, really, I, I do, I do want to honor the Lord in this area. Well, very simple. Write this down as big number three. To destroy, you destroy the idol of money in your heart. Listen carefully. By trusting Jesus with your future. Amen. In fact, listen to what happens next. It says, Peter began to say, to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. In other, in other words, Peter's saying, Oh, Lord, he walked away, but I've given everything to follow you. I've given to the ministry. I've given to the cause of the gospel. And listen to what Jesus says. Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands and with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. See, family, what Jesus is trying to help us understand is that there has to be a moment in your life and in my life that when we look at this thing called money that could become an idol in our life, that we say, hey, you are not my provider. You are not my trust. You're not, you're not what I put my trust. You are not my security. You are not my God. You don't control me. And you have to shift your trust from your money to the Lord. And he is your provider. He is the one who, got, who guides you. He is the one who protects you. He is the one who leads us in every single way of the way. And so, family, there has to be a decisive moment in your life and in my life where we transfer our, our trust from the promises of money to the promises of our Lord. Amen? Amen. And so, listen, if you're here, what does that mean? You might wonder, what does that mean for us? Well, listen, if, by the way, if you're here and you're brand new, if you're joining us for the first time, you don't have a relationship with God, listen, this is not for you. This next portion is not for you. I'm glad you're hearing a little bit of an aspect of our walk with Christ. This is an aspect of it. But you don't have to give money or give to church at all. So relax. You, you're, don't worry, but just listen. But if you're here and you say that you've trusted Christ as Savior, 
You experienced his forgiveness of sin. He has an eternal future secured. He's given everything for you. Then we all need to take a step in this direction. So maybe for you, you have never given before. And you know what? Today you say, you know what? I just got to start and just give something. I got I to gotta make that initial step and start walking. Listen, there's grace and forgiveness, but the Lord says, come on. Start trusting for the very first time. Maybe that's where you're at right now. Maybe for some of us, we've given sporadically here and there, but the reality, there's no consistency. And so maybe the Lord is saying, listen, today I want you to start giving consistently. I want you to start trusting me and obey me consistently in your life. For others, listen, you have been giving consistently, but you know deep down in your heart you're not giving sacrificially. It costs you nothing to give. What you give is, is really, it's, it's not a, and you're not even being faithful to the tithe. And so maybe at this point, is, there's a point in your life, in your walk with Christ, that the Lord says, hey, it's time to fully trust me. You've got to experience what true surrender and true trust. And so maybe for you, it's, trying, it's time just to give sacrificially like you never have before. But whatever the case may be, listen, I think we're learning a lot from this young rich ruler. And then we've got to work hard at making sure that that money never becomes an idol in our life. So if you wonder, well, Omar, how do you take steps in this direction in giving? Well, here's what, here's what I would say. An easy place to go is to cfmiami.org slash give is our website, or you can text CFGive to 313131. You get a little link. You can go there. But when you go to that website right here, you know, you put a cfmiami.org slash give, and you'll go to our main page, and there's a couple, couple videos and different things there. To give, you can just click right here, um, and there it'll take you to a portal where you can, you know, put whatever amount. You can do recurring, one-time thing, whatever the case may be. Ashley and I, we do recurring giving through there every single week, every single month. That's what we give. But at the bottom, right, there's a link that says more on giving. It says help with online giving, ways to give, our budget. And this little link back here, money and life, is also really good. Why? Because there's, uh, you click on there, there's different teachings, there's different um, articles, there's different things to help you process. And so, folks, as a church, listen, We've talked a lot, of, a lot of different topics, right? As pastors, we help you go through different things in your marriage, unforgiveness, addictions, different things in your life, right? We want to help you in every area in your life. And listen, as pastors, we also want to help you with this as well, if that's what you want. And so listen, we're here to serve you, to take steps in the right direction. Now, the biggest fear I, I feel that people don't give is because they feel, well, if I give, I just, I just don't know if I'm going to have enough money for my mortgage, for my children. I have children no more. I just don't know how I'm going to cover all my expenses. And so how do I know if, if I give, if I honor the Lord, if God will provide for me? Well, listen to what it says in Psalms 37. The psalmist says this. It says, I have been young and now I am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. Listen, why would your heavenly father who loves you, sees you honoring him, sees you trust him, how would he forsake you? He will never do that. He's provided always, he will continue to provide, and even in ways that you can never ask or imagine. In fact, I've never met anybody that says, I regret giving to the Lord. Why? Because the Lord is faithful. And folks, the reason that I can speak so confidently in this matter is because I've experienced the provision of God in my own life. 
You know, I've shared, this, I've shared with, this, with, with you this before, that um, I have been, by the grace of God, I've been able to faithfully honor and obey the Lord in this area of my life ever since I was 15 years old. You know, my first job was at Milam's Market. I was a bag boy. That was my first job. And folks, ever since I got my first little paycheck, I began just to honor the Lord and trust Him. And listen, I tell you that not because I want to boast. God knows my heart. That's not. But as your pastor, I want you to see the testimony of God's provision in my life. You know, I'm not rich by any means, but man, the Lord has provided every single step of the way. And I've experienced God's blessings and God's provision in a way I would have never done it unless I would have trusted him. And folks, that's what I want for you. So now your pastor, I don't, I don't, I don't desire just external obedience from you. I don't, I don't want you just to give. That's not what I want. My main responsibility, when the Lord called me to the pastorate to be your pastor, my main responsibility is that in every area in your life to help you trust the Lord more. In your marriage, trust the Lord. And in, in your workplace, trust the Lord. In forgiveness and addictions, trust the Lord. In every situation, you trust the Lord. And in your money, you trust the Lord. And that's what I want from you. And you know what? Not only do you get to experience something you never would have otherwise, you experience another aspect of your walk with Christ. But it's interesting, there's nothing better than knowing you're right with God. You know, what good is it if we're making all this money, all this money that you have in the, but deep down, every time you go to sleep, you know you're not right with God. What good is that? So my desire for us is not only that we would trust the Lord more, that we would experience an aspect of that relationship with him, but listen, that we would walk in our lives knowing, hmm, I am at peace with God. I am right with God. Amen. And so let's go from trusting and obeying our money to trusting and obeying our Lord. Amen, church family. Amen. Let me pray for us today. Father God, we come before you. And Lord, we have learned so much from this young rich ruler. And Father, my prayer for all of us is that we would trust and obey you more like never before so that we can see all that you have for us. And Father, that we would be able to take steps to honor you with our money. Father, prevent money from gripping your heart to a degree that we listen more to our money than to our Savior. And may we honor you in every way. We love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people say, amen. amen. Hey, can we give a shout of praise to our great, faithful God? Listen, next week we are actually finishing up this series called Straight Up. But it's going to be a little more fun because next week is Student Takeover. And the student ministry is going to be taking over our services. It promises to be a lot of fun. So be back and let's see what our students have for us. Amen? Amen. Well, I'm going to call all the campus pastors to the front. Christ Fellowship, God bless you. Love you all.